0: The Bible reading this morning is found in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9, and you can find it on page 9 of your church Bible. Now the whole earth, sorry, the whole world had one language and common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, "Come, Let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to the city to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Here ends the reading.
1: Good morning, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the lights, please. Thanks, so, Isaac. Well, guys, today we start a new series. But well, I hope you, uh, by the end of today, see the overlap with the old series. That's better, isn't it? Let's bow our heads. Almighty Lord, we want to come before you humbly, uh, seeking your word in our life, to just to marinate us and fill us with your purity and your understanding. Well, that is right and correct and that's how we want to be before you lord amen okay we're starting on babylon for the next three weeks if you want to read ahead today's genesis 11 and then we're going on to daniel 1 and 2 uh, for the next couple of weeks and i hope you um i hope I hope you find the flow in this this little series helpful and stimulating. Now, I can't think about Babylon without thinking about this image of a roaring lion. And if you type, if you enter into Google Babylon, these sorts of images are really, really prevalent. Uh, It's common representations of Babylon, the, the lion that's its mascot so to speak. Now, as I was reflecting upon this last night, just going over my notes, where else do we see a picture of a roaring lion? Picture in inverted commas. Where else would we see a picture? Basil. Oh, mate, you're genius. I didn't know that. <laughs> Thanks. So we got the Sri Lankan flag as well. We got Babylon. Sri Lanka's not far from Babylon. Thanks, mate. Pete. I think it's the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually. Let me ask you the oh, Holden. <laughs> That's not a <laughs> roaring line. Yeah, Metro Goldwyn Mayor have got it too. I wonder if the metaphor continues. Doesn't doesn't the Bible talk about the Satan as being a roaring lion, set to devour us? So we've got General Motors, we've got Sri Lanka, we've got the movies. Sort of sums up Babylon then anyway, doesn't it? (laughs) So that image just came to my mind as a metaphor for that which is of Satan, because Satan's described as a roaring lion in scripture. So automatically we're put on a path uh, or a focus by grasping the nature of that image. So... Life in this earth, next slide, thanks, Alan, is a divinely appointed trek of faith. The Bible is the divine transcript of man's journey through Babylon to the new Jerusalem. Now, as I further reflected upon this, that Babylon becomes the picture of restlessness as against the picture of Jerusalem, which is a city of peace, Salem, shall own Peace. So we've got this picture that we're going to develop this morning and the Bible develops quite clearly of restlessness versus peacefulness. Now I don't want to discuss what went on down in the city much last night but I'm speculating that what was happening in the city last night was a parade of restlessness most people, I would have thought, that had some wisdom in their, in their hearts and in their souls would have avoided that and been in bed by half past nine or ten o'clock if they could have got in and, and didn't entertain any of that restlessness that was going on down in Oxford Street. Now, a lot more things happening down there, um, but there itself, to my mind, was an image of Babylon which becomes mankind independent of himself, independent of God, making God himself. Now, I don't want to be in that boat. I don't want to be in a place of restlessness. I want to be in a place of peacefulness. Isn't that on all our hearts? That's why we say RIP on um, on headstones. Because peace is at our heart. It's actually not possessions. It's actually not glory. It's not gold either. The thing that's seated seed in our heart, the deepest, is going to be that desire for peace, which is why I write it on the headstones. So the journey of life is always towards Jerusalem. So we're looking at this series so that we don't get lost on this journey to life. Because on journeys it's easy to get lost, particularly journeys that are unseen. But the Bible's our map. Life is lived under both internal and external conflict of two great cities, Babylon and Jerusalem. Because our eyes see that which is bright and, uh, and, and inviting and enticing and our spirit wants to take our body. To these places. Now, that's a conflict that we're going to live with throughout our time here on earth. Now, the Bible has in it 354 times, this is NIV, the word Babylon is mentioned, but there's only 12 in the New Testament. Now, I've been trying to figure that out. Why would there only be 12 in the New Testament? Why would there be the, be the preponderance of, uh, of uh, the word the theme occurring in the Old Testament and it's dulled down in the New Testament. So just a guess and tell me later if you can guess better than this because it's only a light guess. Um, Something happens between the Testaments, doesn't it? And Christ arrives. And Christ arrives and Christ defeats the very thing that is Babylon. So the focus moves from the Old Testament which is Babylon, to the New Testament, which is Jerusalem. That's why Babylon, I presume, I haven't studied it, but the 12 references, in it, 12 references in the New Testament are only about its destruction. And the other 342 would be about Babylon's uh, impact upon the earth. There is, a history, there is more meaning to those two figures than I can imagine at this stage. If you can help me out, please do. So how did Babylon come to, me, come to be and what does this mean today? Now we're going to wind the clock back backwards. We're going to wind the clock backwards to just about when recorded history began, close to that time. Now, God blessed Noah after the flood and his sons. And God said to Noah after the flood, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Get that. This is the task they had after, uh, after that long cruise be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth keep those three words in mind as for you be fruitful and increase in number multiply on the earth and increase upon it increase upon the earth but what happened now I'm going to do what I've never done before is try to teach geography so let's see how we go got a map here Up the top of that map, near Azerbaijan and Georgia, there's an arrow. That's where Mount Ararat is. That is where the ark still lies. Down here, pointing down at the yellow arrow, is where Babylon is, or was, which is Baghdad today. Now Babylon, the city of Babylon, not the the country of Babylon, which is Babylonia, so you can get confused, the city of Babylon still there with, um, in ruins. But Google, in all its wisdom and truth, informs me that they're trying to make it into a, uh, a tourist centre, develop it to be a bit of a tourist trade. Now, if they can get Chernobyl on a map of tourism, which you can get on the map now, and you can even get four days to stay in accommodation in Chernobyl, where the, where the reactor is, you know, where, where the great uh, damage was done, I reckon it's going to be a piece of cake to make Babylon uh, a tourist um, spot if you can do Chernobyl and get people to pay to go to Chernobyl. Anyway, that's what's happening. Now, at that tip of that arrow, yes, sorry, from the top arrow to the bottom arrow, it's 1,133 kilometers. So it's not very far. They had, when they when they landed on Mount Ararat, they didn't get very far before Babylon got started. Now you can fly from Mount Ararat to to Baghdad it literally is these days. You can fly from Mount Ararat to Baghdad, it takes seven hours for an 1100k journey. I think they're using World War I planes or something. But nevertheless, you can still fly from Mount Ararat down to Baghdad. Now Baghdad and Babylon are literally 50k apart where the tower was first built. And Baghdad... (coughs) is a seat of restlessness. It's a seat of rebellion, isn't it? Now, who's ever heard that phrase on as busy as a one-armed brickie in Baghdad? Have you heard that? That's the joke about restlessness. Not not a joke about peacefulness. It's It's about running too hard, too fast, too far and not getting things done. That's the image of Babylon. It's restlessness. Now, over here on the left side of the map, as a smiling image. What do you reckon? parked there outside of a small image? Jerusalem. Yeah, it's Jerusalem. So we've got a nice little triangle pretty well formed between Jerusalem, Baghdad and, um, and Mount Ararat. So what we're looking at today in the Middle East is where these stories took place prehistory. Now, I can't get over the, the fact that you can put an argument up, it's probably a reasonably strong argument, that that's the most rebellious part of the whole world. We can discuss that over morning tea. But it's the seat of rebellion certainly here in Genesis 11. Next slide, thanks, Alan. So Babylon begins after the flood. So we're going to look at uh, Genesis 10 briefly. Cush was the father of Nimrod who became a mighty warrior on the earth. We've got to keep Nimrod in mind. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. This is how he is described by the Lord in God's word. He's a mighty hunter. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first set is of his kingdom. Now get this. He's the first kingdom of the world. The first centers of his kingdom are Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, and Kalnea And they're in Shinar. Now Shinar and Babylon, Babylonia, are the same place. Just a different name. We're going to get back to Nimrod. Babylon is arguably the greatest kingdom known to man, for it was the first, first kingdom in history it was built under Nimrod and then again the most powerful kingdom on earth under Nebuchadnezzar. So the first kingdom had to be the most powerful kingdom on earth because there's no other kingdoms. And then as you get your ancient history, and I love a little bit of ancient history, as you get your ancient history flowing, we get down to Nebuchadnezzar, you know, 600 600 BC, thereabouts, a little bit later, and um, it's the most powerful kingdom again in the world. And it defeats Israel and takes them into captivity. Now, ba- Babylon equals rebellion. Let's have a look at this passage briefly again. Now, the whole world had one language and common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, Babylonia, and settled there. Now, what were they told to do when they left the ark? I don't know how many hundreds of years it was before they this event, but this event. Recordable. They were told to go and fill the earth. Now, a few weeks ago, we looked at Genesis two, and the rivers flowing through um, through Eden. There are two of them we can still locate, which is which two? Tigris and Euphrates, where Baghdad is today. So they got eleven hundred thirty-three kilometers down to where Baghdad is, and they liked it. They were on the fertile crescent between the two between the two rivers. And they didn't do what God asked them to do, which was to go and fill the earth. So they found that plain and they stayed there. Now, it's fascinating to think because the place they stayed where those two rivers uh, intersect and the land between the two rivers, that's the old Eden, as described in Genesis 2. So once again, now, they have returned to what is a beautiful place which God had given to man and then man lost, what became a place of rebellion, they've come back to the same spot and started again. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves, otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Get that? There's their rebellion. They don't want to be scattered across the earth. They want to congregate in one place. They want to stay. What well, I've, I've found paradise. I'm not going anywhere else. Makes sense, doesn't it? Would have been paradise, but it was disobedience. Let's keep going. But the Lord came down to see the city and, the ta- and uh, see the city and the tower of the people the, and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, "If as one speak, as one people speaking the same language." they have begun to do this, then nothing they will plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth as if God could be outplanned. So they get scattered anyway. That is why it was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now, when I, when I was going to Mongolia a few years ago now, I had to get some translation done. And being the person that I am, I thought I wouldn't pay for it. I'm going to use Google. And guess what the first translation tool was that came up when I entered, when I entered the search engine? Babel. You've used it, have you, sir? Uh, yeah. yeah. Babel. So... I don't think whoever writes at that program, I don't know if they've got any understanding of God's word, but it's uncanny that Babel or Babel is a translation tool. Because what it's doing, it's making the whole world one again with one language. That's what these translation tools are doing. Nobody is out of sight now and can be confused because we've all got access, or one day we will all have access, unless the good Lord tarries. Um, we will all have access to these tools that can help us understand what other people are saying. So, I want to reflect now. Wind wind your minds forward to the current day. Because we've been looking at prehistory. Today's tallest buildings, where are they? Saudi Arabia has the tallest one in the world. A place called Jeddah. It's a kilometre high. Now, these statistics you can push and pull a bit because some places I looked at um, had contradictory sort of stats. But this seems to be the most reliable ones anyway. So Saudi Arabia has the tallest one. It's one kilometre high. It's in Jeddah. Same region as Baghdad. Dubai currently has the second tallest building. It is 72 metres shorter. It's all about pride too, isn't it? Who's going to build the biggest building? Who's the cleverest person? And Dubai is soon going to have four of the top 50 in the world. 10% of the world's tall buildings, so I don't know how they measure them, hyper buildings, not super buildings, it must be hyper buildings. Dubai is going to have nearly 10%. And then the one that used to be the largest is the Burj Khalifa. Did I say that right, Geoffrey? How do you say it? You got it right. Thanks, mate. It's the third highest. So there's a bit of a gap down there. It's only 828 metres. It's also in Dubai. Now, I know these aren't in Baghdad. I know they're not literally in Bob Babylon. But gee, they're in a region of the world where there's a lot of rebellion, isn't there? A, a place of f- foment of war. So these are facts to show the spirit of Babylon has never ceased to live. It's all in the same place. There's more rebellion, more images of pride being built by these nations the show who are the best. And we can gather people from around the world with all the skills that this world have and, uh, and build these, uh, these, these monuments to our pride. So they're building towers to try to reach to the heaven. They're trying to create this, this common unity to build a gateway to heaven. Now, I've got to reflect too. When, when the first Tower of Babel was built, I speculate, Satan was building a path to return to the paradise he lost when he was expelled from heaven. Bible doesn't say that. I just wonder, could these people today, either wittingly or unwittingly, still be doing the same thing? building their own way to get to heaven? Or are they just showing off in pride and their uh, wealth wealth being wasted? So, I want to get on to Nimrod now because Nimrod was the builder or the man who orchestrated it all. Nimrod in Hebrew means rebel. What a surprise. He's the third generation from Noah. So, Noah was his grandfather. Can you see how now the time is beginning beginning to be measurable as we get this detail? You get to Genesis 11, you can do the measurements. Now, in rabbinic literature, it calls the tower the house of Nimrod. The Bible doesn't call it that, but that doesn't mean it's not the house of Nimrod. It's his temple built to his own power and for his own glory. Arabs record him as a tyrant. The Bible's more more uh, generous in its assessment of him. But the things you can read about Nimrod and his wife uh, could well you can well believe the Arabs are correct as well. I've talked to you about Baghdad being 50 kilometres from uh, Babylon, and God calls him a mighty hunter. But I want to unpack that a little bit further too. More importantly. I think Babylon is a hunter for men's souls with his rebellion, with the same rebellion as Nimrod and its instructions. A hunter with fiery darts. Now in Ephesians 6, the good Lord tells us that um, Satan's going to come against us, powers and principalities with fiery darts to hurt us. So he teaches us to put on the full armour of God. Why? Because the souls of men are what Nimrod was hunting. But it wasn't really Nimrod anyway. It was always going to be Satan. Follow my instructions and build this massive tower and you will build the name for yourself. This is the same thing that Nimrod was doing as was done in heaven when Satan tried to gather people around him and he's expelled from heaven and had war in heaven and he's expelled down to earth. You see, we're gathering people together that we may rebel against God. Identical thing. Now, Babylon's ancient desires and its significance. So the desires were to build a city, to build a temple, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a temple where The people who built it will worship themselves and of course they will also worship Nimrod, the the architect behind all this, to glorify themselves. Now it literally means to provide for our own salvation. That is to prevent from being scattered ever again. Now I didn't read this in the Bible but it makes sense. The purpose of the tower was so they would never be scattered again and how were they scattered? What did God do to to the world not long before the Tower of Babel comes along. What did he do? Flooded it. Now, if you're a a man full of pride and a man full of rebellion as Nimrod was and a man of great power as Nimrod was, what are you going to do? You're going to try to build something that you can't flood. But Nimrod, or or the men of this world that are making towers a kilometre high, Nimrod was not aware that the next time God destroys the world, it's going to be by fire, not flood. So once again, the, the towers of man today will still be burnt and they will still collapse and they still can't escape God and they still can't get their own way to heaven. because the way God's got the next destruction of the world, the return of the good Lord, it's going to be by fire. So faith is stolen through Babylon it's lost when independence from the good Lord is pursued. And that's what we're taught to pursue and that's what last night down at Oxford Street was all about. Dependence upon itself, pride in itself, a worship of itself with all its effrontery. That's what Babylon is, dependence upon self, which is the timeless expression of pride, the first sin. So the location of Babylon is literally the return to Eden. They found Eden again. And I started to recreate Eden, but it was never going to work because you can't outmaneuver God. You can't outcreate God. So they wanted to create a paradise of their own without God. They were in paradise yet again, but the Lord was not with them and they didn't want him there. So this is the seduction of Genesis 3:5 did God really say they are attempting to live out? They have become like God or they want to become like God? but they fail. So what's the problem in all of this now? We live in Babylon, it's worldwide. The spiritual empire of the world, that's what it is now, it's a spiritual empire. Our faith, our future is both formed and informed by it. So we think like Babylon. Anybody here been to some sort of mega airports? Airports that stick in your mind. Isaac, what is it, mate? Pardon? Where's that, mate? Pardon? Oh, Saudi Arabia. Oh, okay, Saudi Arabia, thanks. I haven't been to those airports. I've been to some big airports. And if uh, Isaac's been to this one. It's, it's, it's gobsmacked gobsmacking. When I landed in Seoul, I was gobsmacked. It's got a train between two sides of the airport. But what catches your attention is the bright lights and the neon. That's really caught mine. And uh, the vast expanse of airports these days in developed countries. Now, they're they're only temples of worship. They're temples to worship consumerism. Go down to the big uh, plaza, the big shopping centre at at Penrith. That's a place of worship. And more people go to that on a Sunday than they'll ever come to church. That's what Babylon is. It's the neon lights. It's the baubles and the bling that say, buy me, buy me, Keep, keep consuming me because this is going to make you content. This is going to give you peace. This is going to make you happy. But the restlessness comes because you never get the contentment. The next model comes out two years later and you're bombarded with it on TV so you go and buy the next model. And then you've got to keep paying it off so then you're back at work again. It just creates restlessness. New York. What's the description of New York? The city that never sleeps. What's that? The Big Apple. Apple? That's the other one, isn't it? Yeah. The city that never sleeps. It's the city of restlessness. I'm not up at 2 o'clock in the morning, not deliberately anyway. I wonder what Sydney's getting like in these wee small hours, if it's getting as restless as New York is with traffic and things. Don't know. Babylon is the restless evil of living an increasing distance away from the throne of grace, where we continue to try to find things to satisfy our soul, but they never satisfy. So we're on this ever, ever uh, increasing wheel spinning around, around, around. For we seek its tempting baubles and its bling, Babylon bombards us. It yells at us, it screams at us. The Lord gently whispers. Babylon is an anti-God coalition intent on both impurity and independent assertion to create and seduce its own foot soldiers. I don't know how many are in the march last night, and I don't care. They are foot soldiers for Babylon. They've listened to its lights, they've listened to its lies, they've listened to its deceits. They've listened to its attractions. And they've become foot uh, foot soldiers for Babylon, just to keep marching Babylon's tune and ensuring that Babylon is, is how I want to live. And if you speak out against it, you get shouted down. I've had that in a church. Now, guys, when I planned this series, I did not know The last night was the night of this wicked celebration. And when I wrote these words, I did not know that either. I don't think that's a coincidence that we're talking about the foot soldiers for Babylon at the same time as that's in the news. Now, Daniel and his friends, Nebuchadnezzar, wanted to make him the foot soldiers for Babylon. Next week we're going to look at one and two. Daniel, please have a bow-peep at that during the week. Independence of God does not create faith. Independence of God destroys it. And that's what Nimrod was doing uh, at the start of recorded history, I don't know, two or 3,000 BC. Teaching us to live independent of God, teaching us to live independent of faith. Thus it destroys us. Its influence, Babylon's influence, permeates our souls and soaks all our actions, and we don't even know it. For we are unwitting fodder for the lion of Babylon. It demands us to conform to this world. And that roaring lion we had on the first image, that roaring lion roars at us if we aren't conforming to its image. And if you ever doubt that, just look at Israel flower. The Lord says do not conform to the world, world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's what Jerusalem says. That's where there's peace. So let's turn this together, tie this together. Babylon is so much more than a plot of soil or a dot on a map. It's where our hearts live and our minds operate this very day. How often do you get a a, a, lotto, a, lotto, not a, lotto, a lottery letter in the mail because you gave some money sometime to an RSL or, um, or those foundations that, to build houses up there on the Gold Coast and then raffle them off. And you think, you beauty, I'd love to win this $1.2 million house. It's only a 25 buck ticket. Let's go into that. Can you see? We're always being bombarded by the things of Babylon and the lights. Babylon is intent of robbing God of me and me of God. Satan doesn't have access to the good Lord in heaven so he can reinvade heaven and try to take it over. But what Satan does, he's got access to us, his children. And he wants to steal us from heaven, thus hurting the Father in heaven. Because his children aren't with him. Like the mafia. (laughs) No, sorry, the mafia is like Babylon. They just copied. They weren't there first. I can't get at the, at the godfather, so I'll get at his family. Babylon tells us to stay and settle and enjoy the journey at the expense of the destination. Just live, eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Don't worry about what's happening tomorrow, just make sure today's are wild and wonderful for me. So just enjoy the journey and don't worry about your destination. Babylon invites me to make myself comfortable and not look at Jerusalem. I'm comfortable here. Nothing matters more than getting this correct, for the good Lord says we live by faith, not by sight. If I don't live by faith, I'm getting lost on my journey. Now, there are two verses from Luke 9 that, are, that bear learning. As the time approached, so Jesus is getting ready to hand his knife and fork in. He's going up to Jerusalem. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Get the pregnancy of that last sentence. Resolutely. He, he's strided. He's not going to give up. He's going to persevere. He's going to Jerusalem. And he's not going to be dissuaded or distracted from it. And then two verses later. And Jesus sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him. What a surprise, Jesus isn't welcomed because he was heading for Jerusalem. When you set your heart on the city of peace and not the city of restlessness, you're not going to be welcomed. And don't expect welcome. Be surprised if you get welcomed. Because the world lives in Babylon. Babylon is the world. If I'm going to be heading for the city of peace, I'm never going to meet the approval of those that are living in a city of restlessness. It's going to confront them. It happened to the good Lord. It's going to happen to us. If I'm not going to get lost on this journey, this journey to the new Jerusalem, look only to the city of peace. In wherever our intentions are, Whatever's set to distract us, I want to ignore that because I want to be in a city of peace. Why do they write RIP on headstones? Because it's inside all of us, all of us. This desire for peace. So after we've accumulated the wealth of the world, the popularity of Babylon, after we've we've chased gold gals and glory, or gold guys and glory, depending upon your gender. After we've chased those things, none of it's going to be left. It's all fallen, it's all gone, it's going to be destroyed. And when we're on the wrong side of the grass, on the brown side, not the green side, I want to be the person that's been heading for Jerusalem. Look to the city of peace. For I think I've shown you this slide. The destination is worth the difficulty of the journey. Do you remember that? We're here not about the present. We're here about the journey. And the journey is to the destination. The destination is worth the difficulty of the journey. So Jesus knew that he wasn't going to be welcome. But he headed to Jerusalem anyway. Guys, can you please have a look at Daniel 1 and 2 this week? Let's bow our heads. Lord, it's on your heart that not one of us should be lost. Not one, Lord. Oh, Lord, that we would pray, bend our knee before you in humility, and ask you each day, Lord, how do I head to the place of peace? For there is paradise. Amen.